I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast, where we talk about family-style homeschooling. Hi, this is Michelle. And I'm Karen. And today we are answering your questions. So on Facebook, a lot of people ask questions and Karen opened it up ask us anything you want and we will do a podcast about it. So we're just going to read some questions from the Facebook group and we're going to do our best to answer them. And we haven't even really read through these. So we're just going to read your questions and answer off the top of our heads. And hopefully it will answer your questions. And if not, you can go back on and you can clarify, ask further questions. Sometime in the future, we will do another podcast like this where you get to ask more questions. So if you think of other things, jot it down and Ask us on the Facebook group, and we'll keep track of the questions. And So this is anything layers of learning, anything homeschooling, anything about ourselves? Yep, Just there, there any, are some personal questions. Anything <laughs> you're curious about. So the very first question that we were asked says, My seven-year-old is just learning to read and still working on handwriting. Where do I start with for language arts? So what do you think, Michelle? When you say language arts, I'm assuming it's more like the writing, grammar, that kind of stuff, as opposed to the reading, because it sounds like the reading is under control, like they're beginning to read and that process is underway. So I start my kids out, we really start with layers of learning. And what I do is we do narration pages a lot where we read something about the topic. We might read a you know, we have, we have a book about the weather and we read a little bit about the weather or we use our science encyclopedia and we read about atoms. And then I will ask them, what did you learn about it? Or what do you remember what this picture was about? And, and they get to explain in their own words and I will write it down and I use a yellow pen and then they trace. And then as they get a little bit better, I, I might use a yellow pen for some of it and then they get to write some of it. We sort of sh- do that shared writing. And then you just keep easing off a little bit at a time until they're doing more and more of the writing. So do you have workbooks on top of that? Yes, I usually do grammar just right out of a workbook. And we just get cheap little workbooks, few dollars from Walmart or wherever. We just get the little cheap ones, maybe off of Amazon or something. Grammar workbooks, it really doesn't matter that much. As long as it's something that's like colorful, appeals to your child, you can just use that as kind of a guide. And then I also do spelling with them. And we've done different spelling programs over the years. I like sequential spelling, but that's best for once they're at about third grade or maybe fourth grade, depending on your child. Before that, I often will just give them simple words. I'll look for words that either words they want to learn to spell or words that they're misspelling a lot, but using a lot in their writing. I do Us- that. Usually fairly phonetic words that are easily sounded out. Yes. Especially when they're still working on the learning to read. That actually helps them learn to read. If they can begin to associate those letter symbols even more with the sounds that they make. and Yeah, so you can pull some of those spelling words out of their reading program. You can also just buy, you know, first grade spelling workbooks too. That's okay. So I use Draw Right Now with my kids when they are at this stage. Oh, I, I like that too. We use, we've used that. We do a lot of drawing in our homeschool, and so it kind of gives them those skills And then on top of that, the little descriptions that go with it are very much like narrations. So it's kind of modeling what they'll be doing with narrations when it comes time for them to really do their own written narration topics. So my kids have all used draw right now. And we don't really get into a lot of deep grammar 
at that stage because they're still at the part where they are trying to build words. If you throw in all of the rules on top of that, it's really too overwhelming. Yeah, the, about the only grammar that we cover early on is things like you put a capital at the beginning, a period at the end. And we do things like a, a complete sentences. You have to have a subject and a predicate because we're still working on, okay, when you when you give me your narr- narration, can you say that in a complete sentence? And we'll, and we'll work on it that way. A lot of it is out loud. They're practicing out yeah. loud. And then you turn what they say out loud into the written part. That helps them through with the thinking process. And they're actually more willing to include more in their writing if you have them speak it first. If you just tell them to write, they'll make it as short as possible because it's a lot of work when you're that age to write. So you'll get more from your kids if you have them speak it before you write it. And that's how sharing the pen helps too. Learning to write is so much more than the physical act of writing. It's learning to get your ideas out. If you ease some of that burden of the physical writing when they're young, then they're doing a better job of getting their ideas out, which is really the goal. Yeah, when mine are little and they're not really ready to do any of their own writing, I still have them draw a picture, and I usually have them draw the picture first. I say, you know, we learned about spiders. Can you draw a spider? And then they'll draw the spider. And while they're drawing, they're kind of thinking about that spider And then I ask them, can you tell me some things that you know about spiders? And they can tell me those things and I do their writing. And then, like you said, they begin to take over more and more and more of the writing as they develop as writers. But it it can be really overwhelming. I do have some workbooks for my kids. Like I mentioned, the Draw Right Now books. And I give them some handwriting books and things like that. Those are not necessarily a part of our every single day, though. They always write with me in some way, like as part of the layers of learning thing when they're at that stage. And it might only be a tiny bit, one sentence. But they always write in some way. But we might not do all of their workbooks and that writing and everything. It just depends on the day and how they're doing and where they're at because they're still really little. Another thing we've done is we use journals. Again, they get to draw a picture. And in this case, they get to draw a picture of whatever they want. When my second son was little, he did this whole series about this this pillow man. I don't know what it was. I don't know why he did that. <laughs> but he had this pillow man, and it was a character. And he day after day after day, he did these stories about this pillow man. And it was it was so fun to for me as a mom to listen to his stories about pillow man. And he, I just let them do whatever they want in their writing journal. And again, you don't do all of these things every day. You break it up. You might say, well, every Monday we're going to do a journal. And then on Tuesday, we're going to do layers of learning writing. I mean, you can, you can divide that up. So it's not too burdensome. Yeah. And I mentioned that we don't incorporate a lot of grammar when they're that little, but we do writers workshop as a whole family in our homeschool. So my little ones actually hear the grammar mini lessons that everyone's doing. When I say I don't incorporate grammar for them, what I'm saying is I don't expect it. If they make the mistakes, I don't correct those things. I will correct them if they don't include a period because that's something that they learn right at the very beginning of their writing career. But I don't expect them to have all of the comma rules down and to understand compound sentences. Get all the spelling right. And yes, if they misspell something, that's okay. It's, it's perfectly fine for them to be in the process of writing and be doing things besides perfect grammar and spelling and structure and all of that. So focus more on the ideas, especially I mean, all of the time. But when they're little, 
that's where they're at. They can only focus on the ideas. As they get bigger, they can start to incorporate the rules with their ideas. Okay, the next question says, how do you include all ages? I have an eighth grader and a second grader, so wildly different abilities and experiences with reading and writing. And this question was specifically about Writer's Workshop. They were asking me about um, how can you possibly teach these different ages of kids writing at the same time. Again, this takes practice, I think. It does. It takes practice. But really what I do, I teach somewhere in the middle, first of all. You can teach at about a fifth grade level to a second grader and an eighth grader, and it's actually quite effective. You're going to teach in language that is somewhere in the middle when you teach a concept. For example, you might be teaching about the different kinds of sentences. You could have interrogative sentences, declarative sentences. So you're teaching these concepts, and you're teaching in a language that's somewhere in between where your kids are, kind of a middle ground. But then you send your kids off to write their own sentences. So you're going to ask your little one to write a telling sentence, which is a declarative sentence. That's a a sentence that ends with a period. It's just a normal statement. And then you're going to ask your older one. You don't need to say it's a telling sentence to that kid. You can just ask them to go and write a declarative sentence. And you're going to expect a higher quality, more complex sentence from your eighth grader. So if you were doing a workbook, you couldn't do this because your two kids are not going to be using the same style of sentences. It works because you're asking them to come up with their own sentences. So you're teaching a principle to them together, but then your second grader is going to produce a wildly different sentence than your eighth grader because, as you mentioned, they have wildly different abilities and experiences with reading and writing. So they are going to produce different work. But you taught the concept together, and then they sat down at the table next to each other, and they're both working on their sentence, and you're standing over kind of observing and making comments about how they're doing and, you know, giving suggestions. And then after they've written their sentences, they can share with each other. It's okay that your second grader sentence is not the same as your eighth grader sentence. Right. They can, everyone can share and you can talk about the sentences. That's part of the discussion that goes on and, and they can get ideas from each other as well as from you and feedback from each other as well as from you. My kids, they'll be in the middle, especially this happens during, um, when they're writing creative stories, we'll have a similar assignment and they're all writing a creative story and they'll stop in the middle and they'll say, you guys, I need an idea about this. And they start talking about their ideas together. So even though they're all different ages, my high schooler is helping my fourth grader come up with ideas. Yes. And, and that's, it's really effective for them because they'll listen to a lot of ideas and they'll be like, Oh no, no, I've got it now. I've got it. And they will go off on their writing again. So so when we were young, Michelle, do you remember how we used to tell Mrs. Piggle Wiggle stories? Yes. I don't know how that started. Do you remember? We, well, we we read the books and then we loved them. And, and then we would tell, we did it so that like I would say one sentence or one, one part. Word. One word. Sometimes we did one word. And then, yeah, and then you would say the next one and we'd make up this story and it had to make sense. So we, was, we would say Mrs. Piggle Wiggle ran to the store. <laughs> so we'd go back and forth like that and yeah. tell these little stories and... I do that with my kids with words or phrases or parts of stories. They've even written choose your own adventure like that. So we'll start 
writing a story all together and then each kid gets to make up their own ending. So it's not exactly a choose your own adventure because it doesn't have a variety, but it has all different endings. So if you choose to do this, then this happens. And one kid wrote that ending and then another kid will write the other ending. So you can have a lot of fun writing all together. Even when your kids are of different abilities, you're just going to be helping the little ones more and the older ones are going to clearly be on their own a little bit more in that process. Well, and, and when we're talking about expository writing, you can have them all writing a report or an essay about a topic and you can just tell your older one, okay, I want you to do a five paragraph essay style and your little one, I need you to have five ideas and we're going to write these in sentences. You, know, you can talk about it on their level and still have the same basic assignment, but obviously your older one is doing a lot more work than your younger one. Every story has a beginning, middle, end. That's a concept that applies to everyone, every story, everywhere. So you're teaching the concepts, but then they're going to create work on their level. One of the realistic things that I do to help myself, because you are busy during writer's workshop. You're, you're busy and you're helping more than one kid at a time, and that's a little bit challenging. So something that I do is I have my kids email me their work. I don't have time to pour over and give feedback on every single word, especially the ones that the middle school and high school kids are writing because they're just writing a lot more. So they don't get as much feedback right during our writer's workshop. But then later that's sitting in my email inbox, which is basically my to-do list and I can read it and give them some feedback on it. You know, when I'm not so consumed with helping little ones with the actual physical act of writing. Okay, this next question is also about Writer's Workshop. It says, how do you decide what you focus on? Do you just choose a topic at random, relate it to something you're reading, use a book of grammar topics? So what do you think, Karen? How do you so pick what you're going to have your kids write next? This actually stemmed from a really cool book that one of our Layers of Learning moms found. She got a fun book of grammar topics, and she wanted to use that kind of as the basis for her writer's workshop. I'll link to that book so that you can see what it is. I actually bought it after she recommended it and it really is cute. I don't really spend a great deal of time pre-planning what I'm going to teach in grammar because I teach very much what I notice my kids are lacking in their writing. So for example, if they're writing sentences and I realize every single sentence starts with the word the, have you heard kids do that? Yeah. The frog lives in Brazil. The Brazil frog. <laughs> yes. So they'll, they'll get on these little trends, right? And you go, oh, that's, they really need some instruction in that. I don't necessarily interrupt their writing to tell them that all of the time because they're thinking. And if you interrupt their thinking process, that halts their writing. And it's like stopping that creative process in the middle. And then they just sum it up to their mistakes instead of that they had good ideas it's like throwing a roadblock up in front of your kids when you stop them in the middle of their process. So instead, I jot down in my planner, right at that moment, I just run down and say, okay, we've got to teach them not to start every sentence with the. And so the next day or, you know, within a few days, we have a little mini lesson on that. And our mini lessons are not any great big deal. They're mini. They're mini. They're just a few minutes. And we just talk about that one little principle. How can we be more interesting in our writing? And that's part of sentence fluency so if you were you technical. Don't, you don't do any like formal grammar, really. You okay, only, I, you... I do. Here's what I do. 
I have grammar workbooks on hand in each of my kids' levels. So we often use Spectrum, but different years I've used different grammar workbooks. That is a crutch for me because quite honestly, I can't mentally keep up every single day with every single thing that I want to do. I want to have an ideal homeschool where it's perfectly tailored to my kids. But the reality is that I'm not always on point. I'm not always perfect at it. So they each have a grammar workbook. And any time that I don't have a mini lesson for them, we pull out the grammar workbook. Or if I'm teaching a mini lesson about nouns, I'll say, hey, let's pull out your workbook. (laughs) Find the page on nouns. And each of them have it at their own level. Or else the other thing that I use the workbooks for is if they're done and another kid's not done, well, you always have a workbook you can work on. So we do have that, but I don't necessarily go through the workbook in order and they finish every page. We don't use it like that. We use it just as a supplement. Okay. So the second part of that question, I think, is about like the writing assignment. How do you know When do you give them a story? When do you give them a poem? How do you know when you need to teach the essay or whatever, you know, the different genres? How do you teach them? How do you know what assignments to give them when? Okay, so every year I plan at the beginning of the year by month. So in layers of learning, I kind of plan two-week units in general, and sometimes that's one or sometimes it's three or four, but in general I think in two-week portions. In writer's workshop, I think in month portions. And I don't know why that just seems to be what has worked for my family over the years. Do, do you use the pacing guide? We have that pacing guide on layersoflearning.com. Do you kind of use that idea? Like where at the beginning well, of the year you plan out, okay, these are the topics I know I want to cover. Also in the planner specific to writer's workshop, we have one page that is your year plan. So yeah. that's, oh, that's, that's right. what yeah. I use. Yeah. And I actually made one just last week for this coming year. But when I look at it, I basically begin with the list of writing genres that is also in the Layers of Learning Planner. It's included in there. And I take a look at those genres and I assign one to each month. And I know that during that month, we may be doing other writing as well because we always do narrations and, you know, we have a lot of writing going on that are subject-specific assignments. But for that month, our primary focus is whatever that genre is. So we might be learning about the essay, or we might be learning about fanciful stories, but during that month we will we will focus a lot of our writing on that. And I teach a lot of mini lessons during that time that go along with it. For example, if you're learning persuasive essays that month, you're going to have mini lessons about how to hook your reader at the beginning. And you're going to have mini lessons about persuasive language and, you know, ethos, pathos, you know, those yeah. kinds of things where are they are specific to persuasive writing. And so I focus a few mini lessons on that genre. Those I tend to plan out more, but I leave a lot of blanks in my plan for what I notice my kids are needing at that moment. They're, and, they're and, and you're you're ready to change the plan if you need to. Like, oh yeah. Like so if you if you've planned, well in January I really want to do poetry, but then it turns out that whatever's happening in your kids writing life they really need to work on something else, you'll switch that plan. I'm not sure if I've ever had a year where we were actually perfectly sticking to our plan. And it's not necessarily a month either. It's, it's around a month. I plan in terms of a month in my mind, but it's very, very flexible. Do you ever plan your writing based on what you're reading or what your kids are reading or not so much? Here's, here's what we do. I don't exactly plan it based on what they're reading. 
But as often as I can, I try to relate it to something that they're learning. So it might be a book that they're reading, but it also might be one of our layers of learning topics. Like, for example, if we're learning to write letters, then I might have them write a simulated letter from the point of view of a European settler who just came to the colonies, you know, if that's what we're learning about. So they're practicing their letter structure, but it got to be a layers of learning assignment. Part of that is because we don't have enough time in the day to do everything. And so if you can combine some subjects, writing does not have to be its own subject. You can write about math. You can write about art. You can write about whatever you want. So we do that a lot, but my kids don't always want to write about what they're learning. So I give them they choose most of what it is, but I give suggestions, I offer ideas, and then they, they choose. The other thing that I do when I'm planning that yearly month is I try not to have two heavy topics in a row, if that makes sense. Like, for example, I'm not ever going to put essays and then persuasive essays and then a research paper three months in a row. That's overwhelming and a little boring. I love writing essays, actually, personally, but most kids, a story or a poetry unit is more of a brain break for them in a way. It's, it's a little it's fun, fun yeah, and if, easier. If my kids could just write stories every month, they would. Yeah, so they need to master yeah. the essay because that's important, but most people don't love essay writing like I do. Like I, I get giddy about you're, writing an essay. Weird. I really love writing essays, <laughs> but most kids don't. I have a daughter who loves writing essays. She she told me last year, will you please assign me a five-paragraph essay every day? <laughs> I said, well, I'm not assigning that, but if you want to write one, you're more than welcome to. But most kids like stories and things like that. So I kind of, I'll do one month of true stories, one month of essays, one month of fanciful stories. You know. And in December, when I know that we need something light, we definitely stick to a lighter topic. Okay, so the next question is, how much choice is too much, not enough, just right? I know it depends on your or your kid's tolerance, but how do you calibrate it to get it just right? And this one's not about writer's workshop. This is just about layers of learning. Yeah, Layers of learning, giving your kids choices about what topics to learn or which explorations to do. I think think that it, it does kind of depend on your tolerance. For me, I like... I I usually decide what explorations we're going to do because I know what I have on hand and I know what things are like I I do have a very low tolerance for crafts. So if if my kids pick too many crafts, which they would just pick all the crafts, I would go crazy. So I I won't let, I don't I I have to balance it for me. Karen, you're more of a crafty person, so you would probably be you're more fine with letting your kids have more choices than I am. Yeah. So I, the choices I usually give my kids are, are things like, okay, we're going to do this activity, but I'm going to let you decide how to complete it. Or, or if we're, I begin them on a project and they want to expand it or they want to change it a little, I totally let them do those things. So my rule of thumb for this is that I offer my kids one choice. For example, I will not say, hey, you're going to do... Any kind of a book project on any book that you choose in any way that you want on any time frame that you want, you know, I, I provide most of the guidelines and then I let them have one choice in that. So they might choose the book or they might choose what they want to do for the project. I give them one choice 
And the rest of it, the rest of it is guided or you have expectations. That's enough to let them own it without either having them be overwhelmed by choices because that happens with a lot of kids. They go, well, that's, I don't know how to manage all of that. It, it eats time and it, it's not helpful to them. And, and, And it also helps you to get your education goals through if you are making a lot of the choices. Right. Because you so, know what they need to work on, and kids won't necessarily work on the hard things that they actually need to work on. Right. Yeah. So I actually make most of the choices, but I try in everything that I do to say, what can I offer them so that they own it? And I give them one set of options or one one choice in that. Okay, the next question is, how much time do you allow to go down the rabbit hole on a topic? I love this question. Okay, so a rabbit hole is is just when you're going off topic a little or you're taking off on a tangent, how much time do you give yourself to go off on those tangents? That's that's the question. So again, this is going to depend on your personal family schedule at the moment and what kind of time you have to give it and your goals. If you are very concerned with getting through the whole year by the end of your school year, then you're going to have to limit that time. But if you're taking layers of learning real slow and you're like, it's going to take as long as it takes, then you know you could spend weeks on a rabbit hole. I usually don't spend that much time on rabbit holes. I usually do it in, in, if we have a rabbit hole, I do something like, oh, you guys are interested in that? How about you go write a paper about it? Or let's do a project about it. I do it that way. I turn it into the writing assignment. So it's actually not taking more of our time. It's just tweaking. Kind of, it's tweaking. It's kind of shunted off into another topic. But I, I will say this. I once asked a kid that I was babysitting about what they were learning in school and we were just conversationally talking about it. I wasn't like quizzing or anything, but I was like, Oh, what are your favorite subjects? And you know, things like that. And she said, my favorite subject is science, but we don't do science this year. And I was like, what? You don't do science this year? And she said, no, we don't have time for science and my teacher doesn't like it. And I was kind of sad because that's, you know, it's her favorite subject and she didn't get to do science. But it did remind me of something important. I really tend to focus on, oh my goodness, we need to keep the structure and keep to the schedule. And I want to finish in a year. I always finish a year of layers of learning in a year so that we can go on to the next year. But it's not really so important to do that. Even if you eliminated an entire school subject from your child's education, they would really be okay. I mean, depending on the subject. I mean, Let's eliminate math. Let's let's eliminate math. (laughs) No, but really, truly, if you never did art. It would be okay. It would be okay. Their life is not going to be as rich as it would be if they learned about all of the world's great art and artists. I got through all of my schooling with almost no art. Yeah. (laughs) I really like it, though. I mean, really, when I graduated from college, we've talked about this. Neither one of us felt like we had a handle on history at Mm -mm, all. Not at all. And so you need to remember that if you eliminate a unit or you eliminate 10 units or whatever, because you took off on a rabbit trail that you were really interested in, what's important to remember is that you are not learning the content. You are learning how to think, how to research, how to learn, how to have passion, how to have passion. So can you imagine if you're following a rabbit, like an actual rabbit, we have little bunnies that live on our property and eat my fruit trees. But <laughs> can you imagine if you're following this cute little bunny though and he's hopping along and you can keep up with him and you're just watching him wander with your little one and you're watching his little nose twitch and he goes around a rock and he goes in a log and you're just peeking at him. Can you imagine for no reason at all saying, "We're stopping following that rabbit and we're turning around and going home." 
<laughs> yeah. But why? Because it was why? really fun to watch the rabbit and it was cute and sweet and it was wonderful, right? So I think that part of it is that you have to gauge, is this feeding us anymore? Are we, are we going down this trail just to be distracted? I remember in school totally trying to distract my teachers so that they would not get to the point. <laughs> Did you? Oh, yeah. It was like a game in some of our classes. We would try to throw our teachers off. So if it's just a distraction or just a time eater, then you need to stop. But if it's actual curiosity that's happening and there's real learning going on, then why would you stop? I think it may even be really helpful to write down, okay, what, what is it that I want my kids to learn? And I don't, I don't mean a list of facts. I mean, if you want them to learn a passion for learning, then that should take precedence over learning about a particular topic. It should take precedence over learning the weather if you're really invested in learning about trees. You know, it's, it's just write down what is it that I'm wanting my kids to get from this? What is our overall goal? And make sure that you're staying on track with that goal. And it doesn't matter the ne- necessarily the topics. No, it doesn't. You could use layers of learning year one for four years, and I'd be okay as long as you're still learning. Now, if everyone's bored and stagnating and going, we're spending forever on these topics, then you failed there. It's, yeah, but it's time to move on. as long as you're learning and engaged, then you keep going. It, it's kind of, we actually wrote layers of learning so that you could go off on tangents and then you could just go, oh, time to go back. And it pulls you right back into where you need to be. Right. Like it's, it's made that way on purpose. Most of the little rabbit trails for us are actually quite small. Very rarely do we take more than an extra week to spend on a unit or on something. And a lot of times it's just an extra hour. Yeah. 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 Or even, even checking out one more book at the library, you know, or, or checking out that book at the library and just leaving it on your kid's pillow. The one who was really interested in it, you know? Yeah. It it depends. It doesn't always have to be your school time and your, your whole plan and affect the whole family. You you don't have to stop and rewrite an entire unit about the rabbit trail. It, It should just be very organic and natural and I don't know. It de- it depends on what your needs are, but but keep your goals in mind. Keep your your goals overall goals. Okay, okay, let's go to the next. The one. next question is: What are your suggestions on how to maintain records or grades for middle school and up? Some states require it. Some, I'm struggling with grading grade books and how to organize a portfolio this year. So we have we actually have a couple of posts on layers of learning that are about that, but we'll answer that here too. So first of all. Some states do require it, or some countries, some school districts require it. I grade every subject a little differently because every subject is different. In math, it's really easy to do a test and keep track of the test grades and just average them out for your overall math test grade. Okay, so with math, I do test grades, but then I give them a homework grade, and the homework is not graded, but if they completed every assignment leading up, then they get... It's almost like getting a little extra credit on their test, basically. Because but, it's, it's, it's credit for work. Like, right. you, you put the work in. So. so if they failed the test, they're still not going to get an A. It's not that much. But I, I do give a homework, a base homework grade. And we have a grading spreadsheet that we actually sell for 99 cents on layers of learning if you want to use it. But um, I keep track of our grades in there uh, yeah, with the, each. The, the spreadsheet is nice because it does all the math for you. Yeah, it, it calculates, it calculates the, grades the grades for you as you percentages. go through. We also have grade sheets in our printable layers of learning planner. If you're more of a paper person, you can keep it on paper. 
I actually a lot of times keep mine, like the grades, I keep the grades throughout the course on paper. And then at the end of the course, I put it into the, into their transcript. This for once they hit high school, I put it into the transcript at the end of the year. So I grade every Friday afternoon, I grade all my kids' papers and I put, I keep track of their points, you know, their score, like I add the new scores on, but then at the end of the term, we, we call it terms or like a semester, then I actually calculate out what their term score is. And my kids are involved in sports at our local high school, so I actually have to turn the grades into our high school. Not that they care, except they don't allow athletes to be part of the sports teams if they don't have at least a C average at our high school. So I have to give grades to the school, so I always have a deadline. Like, you know, I have to get my grades turned in. Well, it helps to have a deadline. Yeah, kind of, I don't have deadlines. I know. <laughs> you can be more loosey-goosey. Lazy, huh? so, but- so besides math. Yeah, how so you, other, other sub- I, think, I think math is the easiest to grade. If you're grading other subjects, I actually, Karen, I use your grading concept for writing, oh, for, for papers. Writing. Yeah. So, Karen, it, again, this is on um, Layers of Learning, and we'll link to this. She has a rubric, a template for how to grade a paper. And that kind of gave me the jumping point to go, oh, this is how you grade topics that maybe are more... Um, subjective. subjective rather than objective where there's not necessarily a right and wrong answer you know history if they do a history project how do you grade a history like a poster that they made how do you even grade that so this rubric kind of gives you an idea well what were your criteria did you did you tell them at the beginning it needs to be neatly written if it's sloppy you'd take off points right mm-hmm. and if you told them at the beginning i expect you to have information about the childhood of this person their education their greatest achievement if those things aren't on the poster then you would grade off for that you, know, you you decide your criteria at the beginning, and then you... You cannot grade an assignment and not already have in your mind what should be included. And your kids can't read your mind, so you have to actually say, this is what needs to be included in those subject-specific things, in history, geography, science, and art. And it's best to have it written down for them. Yeah. So they can see... When my kids do a science experiment, they always have the same write-up. It's... It's basically they have to type out their process, their scientific method process that they went through, and that gets turned in to me. Now, I think one of the things that homeschool moms do in those subject classes is they try to grade everything, and you don't need to grade everything. They don't grade everything in schools, and you don't need to grade everything. You need to decide on a few things during the year or maybe the month or however you want to do it that will be the graded projects. It's, it's kind of like the math test that you're going to take. The math test is the base grade. And then the rest of it, you say, I'm going to give you some work for completion. So yeah, most I'm, of I'm our things are completion. And then you have a few things that the grade is based on that your kids know, oh, this is a big deal. This is important. It might be, you know, in high school, it might be tests, papers, Things like that. And and teachers, you have to remember, teachers decide what they grade and how much weight they give each assignment. And you can decide. So at my house, we do not do reading comprehension tests. We don't do anything like that. We don't, I don't grade reading. It's basically, did you read or did you not read? And if they, if they read, then they get a hundred percent. Like, and that, that all gets rolled into our English or language arts grade, but we do, you don't have to necessarily grade the way that the local school does or the way that you, you were graded in your classes. You, you need to think, what's important? What do I really want them to learn? And then grade based on that. 
And, and yeah, we have a, several posts about grading and we can link to those too. So that will help kind of organize that in your mind, I think. So as far as, so that's kind of the grade books, but as far as a portfolio, um, throughout the school year, my kids keep pretty much all of their work as they go along. Yeah, we just have big three ring binders. Big and, three ring yeah. binders, and they keep it organized that way. And I always tell them, hey, keep your assignments, because if for some reason I don't get something in the grade book and you're missing it, I am actually very strict about that. Like, I've made my kids redo things, which is not really the layers of learning philosophy as far as love of learning, but, but it is responsibility. Gonna, and and I, that's what's going to happen in college. Yeah, I need them to have those <laughs> and, school skills, too. And in too. the workplace. Yeah. yeah. So I tell them, look, you hold on to your assignments if I have written on it, like sometimes it's just a smiley face or a check mark, or sometimes I put a, you know, feedback or whatever on it. If it's written on by me, they had better keep it. If it's written on, that means I put it in the grade book, but things happen. Sometimes I miss things and that happens with teachers at school too. And so they're responsible for that and they have to be able to pull it out of their notebook. If I say, Hey, I am missing your Europe map. Where is it? Yeah. They have to, they have to stay organized, so they keep organized notebooks with, with dividers, and especially once they're in middle and high school. They should be able to do that. That's what I do. I go through, and I actually take all of their work, and we throw most of it away at the end of the year. But I look through it, and I, with my kids, they each have an afternoon with me or like an hour with me. We go through their portfolio and choose the work that they want to keep and you, you, you scan like, some like, of it. And it's like keep their best writing yeah. And you have a page of photos of projects they did. And it's like on your post, it was very laid out. And I really liked that because yes. it helped you to it know. It takes you through exactly what you can include in a portfolio. And some states your, require attendance days, so you'll need to include yeah. that. But your, your local school district may have specific requirements that you need to make sure. But yeah, we'll link there. to that post and you can look at how I build my portfolios. And it has it has some pictures in there. But once my kids are in high school, one of the goals that I always have for them besides just what's in their portfolio is I always tell them, look, you're going to need to have some essays in your pocket when you get to college. So we're going to develop some really strong essays while you're here with me. And then you're going to be able to take those on your laptop and already my oldest son is taking college classes, and he wrote several papers about drones because he's really into drones. He builds them and races them. He he wrote for me some papers, some research papers and some essays and things. And then when he was taking his English class at the college, he was he had to choose a topic for an essay and he chose drones and he was able to take one of his papers and revamp it and work it even more and make it better. But he had somewhere to start with. So I like my kids to leave for college with a big folder on their laptop of lots of really solid essays that they've written. Okay. The next question, this is where we get personal. Oh, and, okay. and this is actually a series of a whole bunch of questions in this one. And so we'll do each of the little questions one at a time. So it says, do you have other siblings? Yes. Well, yes, we do. We, we have four brothers. So two older brothers, then me, Michelle, and then Karen, and then we have two younger brothers. Yep. So our, our family's all, there were six kids in our family, obviously, if you did the math there. Um, and they're all spread out all over. We don't all live together, but we generally get together at least one week a year and we have a family reunion and, 
and all of our family's very close. We don't talk about our siblings very much because they we're the only homeschoolers. Yeah. In fact, only one of our other brothers has kids. Our youngest brother passed away when he was 14. And then I've got a, we have a brother that two, is. Two bachelor brothers. Two bachelor brothers. And they are both computer guys. Yeah. Actually, all three of our brothers are kind of computer guys. Yeah, they kind of are. But <laughs> Okay. The next one is what were your childhoods like? First of all, we had to share a room. Yes, we that, did. <laughs> that was really actually kind of hard on us because we have really different personalities. We became great friends after we got our own rooms. And not and we, until then. Well, <laughs> we, we did play together and we did stuff together, but we had, there was a lot of conflict. I, I was a real neat freak. Like I wanted everything neat and tidy and I'm a total minimalist. No, you, yeah, you guys don't even understand. Karen, she, <laughs> she doesn't even want anything on the shelves. Like if she had a set of shelves, if it has anything but books, it has no place in her life. I agree. I had, <laughs> That's true. I had these beautiful porcelain dolls when I was little and I had this gorgeous porcelain doll collection I kept it very nice. It wasn't a no, mess. you were a mess. I wasn't a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. It wasn't just the dolls, though. I mean, you had a lot of stuff. I like trinkets and, you know, I like jewelry boxes. She also liked boxes. leaving the clothes all over the floor. And she's, when we had to clean our room, she stuffed things under the bed. That's so funny oh. because now I'm such a neat freak. I know. She's actually neater than I am. No, <laughs> but you own, like, half as much stuff as me. I own tons yeah. of, like, stuff, like decorations. And, and, and I always feel like I have too much. Like, I don't, I don't have any family photos on any of my walls in my house. I don't have any walls that don't have family photos. So <laughs> if you, like, sometimes you'll see on a TV show the cops will come into somebody's house where they got murdered or whatever. This doesn't even look like anyone lives here. That's what they would say about my house. Yeah, it's it's been vacated. <laughs> no, you have a very homey home, but it's it's mostly like books and patchwork quilts and comfy yeah. furniture yeah. and the wood burning stove. It's just it's very pioneer now that I say it. No, it, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. But when we were kids and we shared a room, I do remember we didn't only share a room. We shared a we had a queen size bed, so we yeah. slept in the same bed. And we talked about the Mrs. Piggle Wiggle stories in one of our episodes, and that's where we did them at night. That happened we were, at night. When, when we, we were not falling asleep like we yeah. were supposed to be. But do you remember, <laughs> we had a bedroom downstairs, and do you remember how we'd play Monopoly under the covers? Yeah, We'd have the whole Monopoly <laughs> board game under the covers, and then we'd hear yeah. Mom walking down the stairs to check on us at night, and we'd, like, carefully pull the blanket over the Monopoly board. And to, pretend that we were asleep. Yeah. Shoo. <laughs> we'd, we'd, like, fake snore. I don't think we even snored, but I, we'd fake snore. To, I don't know. I, we, I don't think we fooled her, but. <laughs> I'm sure we didn't. <laughs> Isn't it funny how kids always think they're fooling their parents? She's so they, much they smarter don't. than that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we had we had a great childhood. We had a big family. We lived in a neighborhood and rode bikes and we lived right Ooh, the river. Yeah, right by the little Spokane River. We grew up in Spokane, Washington. And it, so like it was our house was right by the river. So we would we would go every day in the summer. We would go down there and we'd raft down the river. We'd yeah, tube down the river. Tube down the river and swim. And swim like every day. We'd we'd tube down to this park that was just down the river and we'd run back up on the hot streets with our bare feet and we'd go again and we'd do that all summer. And we grew up in a family that had family night every week and, you know, we had on, family we dinners. On, yeah, we went on family vacations. We always did, my parents did one big family vacation every year. So we did things like going to the Grand Canyon. We went to Disneyland the ocean. one year. We went to the ocean. 
And then we always went camping too. My dad, he major, loves major camping. boater and camping. So we grew up water skiing and camping and Yep. We we, we were had, we water had, bugs. We had a good childhood. Yeah, we did. We did. It really was fun. super happy. Yep. Um, then it says, what do your relatives and friends think of your homeschooling? <laughs> so like Karen mentioned, none of our family members are homeschoolers, but they're all completely supportive. None of them think that we're too terribly weird. Other so, than that we're just sort of weird. But <laughs> at, at the beginning, I don't know if my in-laws listen to this or not. I have no idea. I don't know if they even, I assume they know that I podcast. I don't know. <laughs> but if, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> But my father-in-law, just a few weeks ago, he he was talking to me and he said, you know, you changed my mind about homeschooling. I thought that homeschoolers just homeschooled to get their kids out of school because they were, you know, being lazy and off in the woods, hiding oh. out from the government. And if, if I wanted to be lazy, I would not homeschool. No, I know. I know. <laughs> but, but he said, you completely changed my mind. And now he tells everyone how great homeschooling is. And I actually have... We said none of our siblings homeschool, but two of my sisters-in-law do. So my husband's sister and my husband's brother's wife, they both homeschool their kids um, now. And I don't know if it's because of me or not, but they're they're supportive of it. Every so often we get a stray comment that we have to deal with, but for the most part, we yeah, have... I, I don't have any issues. We have pretty strong personalities, and I don't think that... Maybe they'd be Nobody afraid. would mess with us. <laughs> <laughs> but most of my friends are actually homeschoolers also. That's how I met my friends is through homeschooling, like, co-ops groups. So We, we both kind of have a, a tribe of good people that, yeah. that support us. So we're really lucky there. Early on, I lived back east when I started homeschooling. And I felt very much more isolated. You were kind of my only connection to the And I lived in world. Hawaii. So yeah. we couldn't have been further apart. Yeah. So for a few years, it, yeah. for a few years, it was hard, and I'm not sure if our families were as sold on it, but they didn't. They didn't give us a hard time. No. no. But I think that they have now seen, like, wow, your kids are really. This this has fed them well. It's fed their education well. Okay. The next one says, "What do you do for fun for yourselves outside of family time?" Okay, so this is like us personally. Personally. I, I read. It's like a party. <laughs> you see those little quotes on Pinterest and Facebook and things? Yeah, like reading is like my party. And I run. So Does, Is that fun? Is, well, it's I, fun I, for you. It's not it's fun, fun for me. I don't run. It's fun for me. <laughs> I, I like to swim a lot and do water sports. You do too. We, we go yeah. boating. Yeah. We grew up boating and water skiing and all and of that, that stuff. That is, and that is still fun. We still yes. do. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know if I do this for fun or not, but we go snow skiing and I try. Oh, I think it's fun though. Well, I, it's fun. <laughs> I'm just not good. I, I like it because I'm better than anyone else in my family. <laughs> is that bad? That's, I like that terrible. I still have little enough kids that I have an excuse to be on the bunny hill. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do when they graduate from the bunny hill and I'm the only one left there. Yeah. Last time we went skiing, I went to the top of the mountain and I come down a little ways and there's my son struggling and I help him get down. And then I come across my husband. He's like sprawled across the whole mountain, his gear everywhere. So I had to save him too. And I was like, man, you people are a lot of work. That's like a confidence boost. They're like, I'm the best one. I know. 
<laughs> I'm really not that good. It's just that I'm better than them. <laughs> but it is fun. We're both pretty outdoorsy too. Yeah. I, I like sports a lot. I don't like sports a lot. No, Karen doesn't like sports. <laughs> sports I, I, and I don't I like, get along. I like sports. I go, I play volleyball with some friends. I'm not at the moment, but yeah. I, I, I also, this is Karen, by the way. I garden. I have a huge garden and I, I love. I do not garden. I hate gardening. I love gardening. I kill plants. <laughs> I grow plants. <laughs> so yeah, Michelle and I are totally different from each other, but in like lots of fun, good ways. So we still like to hang out, even though you run and I swim. We just don't do that together I yeah <laughs> we should do a triathlon and then we could yeah, do it yeah, together we could do different parts we need a biker, need a biker. Yeah. <laughs> okay what else what's our next one writer's workshop when you still need to scribe for them it's overwhelming and how to add that to so when your kids are young and they're needing you to do a lot of the writing it's hard if you have multiple kids that need that yeah that's tricky um if you have older kids you can make them scribe as well. Like tell them, hey, you're with this kid. Start to write down what they're saying. And, but that, that is tricky. It's, it is impossible if you're a homeschool mom, especially of more than one child, not to feel pulled sometimes. If you think that every other homeschool mom just has it together and has their time schedule perfectly worked out and it's all like clockwork, that's just not true. No, I, I think it can help to have to make sure you have something for the child that you're not working with at the moment. Like if you have two or three children that are still needing a lot of your help with writing and it's taking a long time, you need to have things that those other children can be doing while you're helping the one. Yeah. And, and, and maybe slow down and accept that, okay, we need to drop some of our subjects because right now writing is taking up so much of our time. So we just need to, you know, skim back the project or, or only have the writing on fewer days. I don't know. So one of the rules that I live by is a lot of homeschoolers are super anti-workbook. I am not. We don't do workbooks all the time, but all of my kids have workbooks in their desk so that I can tell them, hey, go work on that. Yeah. It's or, really... Or reading. They can do it with reading. Yeah. And they have their books at their desk too. And and, and, and they have that option. And audio books. If your kids aren't great readers, audio books and have them do a um, how to draw book while they're listening. My know. kids also have bookmarks a bookmark folder on their computer of games that I am okay with them playing during school time so like Like math games spelling city and so they can go we had for my little son we had how to teach your monster to read and so when I didn't have time to get to him he had options he could go read out of his little readers or do how to teach your monster to read he could color we have puzzle boxes so they have to stay with you or else you waste even more time going and tracking kids down. Yeah, so, so you kind of have to plan that ahead. Okay, what are our what is my strategy? What am I going to do with my son while I'm working with my daughter? And I don't plan that day by day. What I do is at the beginning of the year, I make a list that goes in my kids' planners. Even my kindergartners have planners. And there's a list in there if if you have more time and then this these are kind of the approved things that you can do. And there are a lot of things that we have on the list. But that way you can help one and then you can help the other and you're not getting pulled. At at the beginning of the school year when you're first starting out, that's when you train them on all of those things. So you spend the the entire first week or maybe even two weeks just training them on 
how you go through your school day, your schedule, what they can do when you're busy with someone else. It's like, if you think of it, okay, we're going to set aside these two weeks. This is our training period. And then you have them trained for the whole school year mm-hmm. and they're, they can go to those things automatically. It's time well spent. Yes, it is. It's time well spent. Another thing that I do when I have two little ones who need my help or three little ones who need my help, like if they're writing specifically, you have one kid drawing the picture while you're helping the other kid write and then you swap and you're helping the first kid write while the second one is then drawing their picture. So they're both working on the assignment, but you can't be in two places at once. So you kind of have to juggle that and, a little and bit. And you can also teach kids how to wait. Yeah. Sometimes they just have to wait and they have to do it politely without whining or... But it's really good if you just have on hand, have some linking cubes, have some Legos, you know, have something that they can... Just grab on their own. tools, yeah. Yeah, there there are so many little learning type tools that aren't going to be a huge distraction that you can kind of just have on hand. Okay, the next one says teen boys engaging their minds, keeping them physically active without team sports, helping them use tech as a tool. So that's kind of like three in one. So it kind of sounds like your kids would rather be on the computer instead of outside maybe, is that? Or or you're, they're bored at homeschool? I'm not sure. But so engaging their minds, let's start there. I think by the time they're teens, you need to give them more and more control over what they're learning. And that will really help them engage their minds. So if they've gone through the layers of learning cycle twice and you're like, you know what, they're really bored. It's okay to say, let's, let's do a unit study for you and you can spend the next three weeks just learning about World War II and you can do it on your own at the end, have this big assignment, big assignment prepared you can do some of that kind of thing let them let them stop engaging in some of your group work maybe it depends on your children's personalities so as far as engaging them I actually think that sometimes we make things a little bit too easy sometimes school should be hard because if it's really easy we go into lazy mode in our minds and so sometimes you should have your kids be doing things that are legitimately difficult for them. And and they might think are boring, but you have to do it anyway. It, it's okay for it to be hard work. Yeah. I mean, when I told my kids last year that they had to write research papers that were at least 10 pages, they both really freaked out because they're accustomed to writing five paragraph essays. And those are usually a page and a half, two pages. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes three, but not 10 pages. And not a research paper. Right. It was a lot more work. And I gave them more time, but it was a lot of work and they were intimidated. That was really good because that you have a sweet spot there where if something is hard but not impossible, then you're learning. If something is easy, you're just kind of skating. So when it comes to teenagers, sometimes you really have to up the game and you have to let them be more independent because let's get real, teenagers want to be independent from everybody in the family. They reach that point where we still have family school, but my teenagers definitely start doing more and more on their own, not just in school, but in all parts of life. You know, they get driver's licenses, they venture out, they, they have jobs, they, they get more independent because that is the pathway to adulthood. And that happens in their learning too. So give them tougher things and things that are more independent because they start to resent the little kids if they're fully engrossed in little kid school all the time. Yeah. Uh, the next part is keeping them physically active without team sports. Okay, so my kids do sports a lot, but your kids really don't, Michelle. 
they they don't do team sports anymore. I mean, we we did um, community sports, and, and in our our town, there are actually community sports for high schoolers. In some places, there aren't because the community assumes that those kids are doing high school, high school sports. So it, it depends on where you live. But my kids are in scouting, though, so they do hiking, um, camp camping, outs. campouts. So you can put them in something that's not sports but is still physically active, like scouting um, or 4-H. 4-Hs can be very physically active. They also – I go on runs, and the boys come with me, or I go biking, and they come with me, and that's almost every day. And, we do that, and too. And this is, this is my teenagers as well as my younger kids. My 16-year-old son comes with me almost every time that I go. So, and, and then as a family, we play. We go snow skiing in the winter. We go – to the beach in the summer, some of those things. And then if they have friends, they can do a lot of that with their friends rather than just with their family too. So we got a little street hockey set and my kids have rollerblades. So they love playing hockey just with each other. And in in the driveway. Yep. And we have a trampoline. That's a huge help. My kids are on the trampoline as often as they can be. And I mean, not everyone has the opportunity to, have all of these things. I don't know what your yard is like or anything. We live on property. So, you know, we, my kids can practically hike on our property. And in fact, they pitched a tent last night and camped out. Um, but there are a lot of things that aren't team sports that you can still do. We go swimming a lot as a family. We play kickball. Okay. We only have six people, but we just have the person up at bat and then everybody else is out in the field. And then you know, anyone who's running gets to stay on base and the team gets smaller and smaller, but it's fun. You can just, (laughs) you can do some, some fun, active things, but you have to be a little more creative if you're not just going to put them in sports. And then finally helping them use tech as a tool. So in, in normal school to, to complete projects, you can have tech, I mean, word processors or tech. Um, spreadsheets. They can use things like that. They can do things like making PowerPoint presentations or Prezi presentations, and those are tech. Um, if you want them to go beyond just school, things like um, there there are programs online that teach you how to how to use the la- um, programming languages. There are websites that you can go through all of that. They can have their own blog or their own website where they're actually having to do a lot of that tech stuff. It depends on their interests. So I, I'm not positive if this is what you mean or not, but I get a lot of people that ask me, how do I get my kids to think of technology as a tool rather than a game? Cause they're like gamers. They're, they're on their phone or they're on their laptop. And yeah. All they're they're, they're yeah. time killing. Right. Yeah. And brain cell killing. Um, I really, I don't even allow gaming at all until school is over. And for us, school is most of the day because we don't. <laughs> We don't have like a a time that we're done. We're just done when we're done. And if they've completed all of that, then I'm fine with them playing a little game. But we have limits. I use actually a circle, a Disney circle device. And so my kids have their tech all turns off as soon as they're out of their time. Like they get 15 minutes a day on Instagram. After that, it automatically turns off and won't let them on it. And we have a lot of restrictions during school that I don't even monitor. I just set it up at the beginning and then, and then watch it. Now, if you don't want to do something like that, then you have to be more responsible for watching what they're on, you know, paying attention to what they're doing, but you can still set up guidelines and say, you know, 
this this school time or most of our day is only for technology being used as a tool, a learning tool. So you could yeah, Google so, what you're talking yeah, about if, or if learning about. If they're wanting to do something, I don't know, they're, they're wanting to fix an engine on their, on their motorcycle. Okay, well, now you can go onto YouTube and look up videos on how to fix that engine or the part of the engine. Right. That you're, so then they're using tech as a tool instead of a game. And actually... We we mentioned that if our little kids have downtime, they have a list of acceptable things that they can do. My big kids also have a list in their planners of acceptable things that they can do when they're waiting for me or they're done with assignments or or whatever. So if really the school day is not over, but they want to get on the computer, they can do certain things on there. Like my son is teaching himself how to play the guitar with instructors on YouTube. He's actually getting pretty good at it. So... You just have to really steer them in those ways. And quite honestly, you have to be restrictive about some things, especially if you have a kid that has addictive tendencies with gaming. So, Okay. The next question is what to do with your preschoolers. Oh, I love preschoolers. I I used to think that you had to have this full-blown curriculum and you had to be very, they must learn these things. And I've come to realize you need to read to them. (laughs) Yeah. That's about it. And, and, and. And talk to them talk a lot. Talk to them a lot. Let them help you in the kitchen. Let them help you when you're in the garden. Help. Let them help you put away the groceries. You know, have them involved in real life and, and read, 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 read. Reading and constant conversation is probably the best preschool curriculum there is. Yes. it. You can trace circles in books and cut out construction paper circles, and that's all good. I did all of that with my kids. But... It's just as valuable to see the clock on the wall and say, what shape is that? You know, yeah. it's, it's the same thing. If, if you're wanting to know what do I do with my preschoolers while my other kids are doing homeschool, workbook. <laughs> they're, they're, well, not the whole day. Not the whole day, but, but a preschool workbook, have um, puzzles. We had a reading app called Homer, and it teaches children to read. I love Homer. It is a great reading app. And you can have a few educational apps like that or, or computer games where they're, they're learning things. Just have a battery of things that they can be engaged in. And then for at least part of your day, your preschoolers can often be involved in what you're doing. My preschoolers join us for layers of learning. I no longer have preschoolers now, but when I did, they would join us for layers of learning things. And they would sit there and make the little clay ziggurat with the rest of us. Or they would, you know be working on their own poster when the others were making a poster make the puppets and do little things yeah during layers of learning my preschoolers always joined in and I always did have little I guess busy boxes they weren't anything special it was like the linking cubes and the pattern blocks and the lacing cards and you know all those fun preschool things I have all of those I don't even have preschoolers but I still have the little bins in my schoolroom, and Every so often my kids still pull them out, but, but they knew that during school time they could go and get into any of the bins. And we had a rule that it was one at a time. You had to put away the last thing before you could get out the next one, but they did puzzles and all kinds of things. A lot of times your preschoolers need to sit on your lap. It can be frustrating to try to do math with your third grader with a preschooler on your lap, but sometimes they need that and you're just going to have to relax, let things be slower, let them sit on your lap. They can color while they're sitting there. They need mom time. They really do. I am always surprised though, how quickly my preschoolers developed like longevity. Like 
they could pay attention longer and longer and longer because they were very much a part of our family school. Whereas when I taught preschool, because I, I taught preschool for several years to other kids, not just my own. And when I taught preschool, I would plan things in such tiny little spurts and it was very short and very active. And I was always going, 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 going. And my kids actually were much more chill as they just quietly joined into our activities. And yes, they made messes. Yes, they weren't perfectly on task. You just don't worry about it that much. They pick up a lot. And like you said, you read. You read a whole bunch to them and talk to them a lot and just keep them conversing with you. And that's half the battle. Yeah, that's how that's how for them. That's how they're really learning. Yeah. Next question. I have three grandchildren. E, who is three and a half, is extremely gifted and reads independently and almost constantly. Wow. Wow. Three and a half. That's amazing. Wow. I is two and wants to be like his big brother, just isn't there yet, and while very bright, is not as gifted as E. The baby is just that, a baby who isn't even a month old yet, and so not a concern per se. E reads, as I said, just not to his little brother. E also has learned quite a bit of math and is currently working on addition, subtraction, most of which he has figured out by himself. I, while quite bright, is overshadowed and frankly not truly verbal as of yet, but responds to cues given through action. I will be homeschooling them this fall and onward, and although I had hoped to have I in the same room, as I said, language skills are needing work, and I hoped that I would have the chance to develop and grow his language skills through being in the same room. And yes, we are having I's hearing tested. I understandably want to be the center... I. Oh, I understandably wants to be the center of attention, and E is not happy about that. Suggestions? Oh, they're very young, first they're of all. They're very young. Anything that you're doing super formally at this point, you really don't need to. Even with the gifted one. I know it seems like, oh, he's so smart. We can get ahead. It, I don't know. I would let him go at his own pace. Truthfully, with most kids, the gifted ones and the ones who struggle all even out right around age 10 or 11. Yes, they do. Even, even kids who have real learning disabilities like dyslexia, if they are allowed to learn and are nurtured and not made to feel stupid by about age 11, right around there, 11 or 12, maybe 10, it all evens out. And you feel like, oh, this child is so gifted and this one struggled. But somehow... It's developmental. It's It's not that their brain is some super brain or that you have a superpower and this one is lacking a superpower. Don't think of it that way. It's a developmental ability... That just means it's a different time frame, not a different ability. So sometimes you, with kids' heights, sometimes you'll have a kid who's really tall at a very young age, but by the time that he's 15, he's about the same height as the other kids. He just grew earlier and younger. Right. That doesn't mean he's more advanced. It just It's just a developmental thing. Yeah, and, and when it comes to those physical things, we accept we that. Accept but that. when it comes to our minds, we think somehow this kid is different and this kid is different. And yeah, all kids are different from each other. But what you're talking about is development. So what you should be doing right now is having a lot of fun conversations and reading fun books. Bake and cookies together. If E really wants to do workbooks and teach himself math, great. But if you start to shove it down his throat and, oh, you can go faster and faster and faster, you're going to end up with a very burnt out, very upset child at some point. With kids that young, you probably don't want to spend more than 45 minutes on actual anything remotely formal. The rest of the time they should be spending playing games together, 
going on walks, reading books, doing things, helping you around the house. It should be very relaxed. I know it can be so tempting to want the children to excel, to look, I don't know. I I guess you feel like it will make you feel more accomplished to have them be more accomplished. It's a bragging point almost. And, And we need to be careful about doing that with kids. It's okay if they're just allowed to grow at their own pace. And you also mentioned that there might be some resentful attitudes between them. And that can also be eliminated if you ease the pressure a little bit. If you just make everything fun and, you know, explore together and have fun together and play together and read together instead of look what you're doing and you're not doing that yet. And don't do any of that with your kids or your grandkids because it won't help them in the long run at all. It's just going to make them resent each other. Yeah. And you don't, you don't want bad feelings to start out or overactive competition between them. Cause that, yeah. that can become a lifelong handicap for both the one who thinks he's so much better and the one who thinks he's not good enough. It, it can become a lifelong handicap for both of them. So be really so, cautious about that. I think developmentally at those ages, communication is probably the thing to focus on. And you mentioned that there were communication difficulties with the younger one. That's a younger one, so it's okay. They're not... Yeah, the child I mean, is only two. My oldest son yeah. almost wasn't speaking until he was three. And yes, he did have some hearing problems. As soon as he got tubes in his ears, he started to speak. But he wasn't very verbal he was very smart. He just wasn't very verbal. And sometimes we think those are the same thing and they're not. They're not. No. But just keep talking with them and playing with them and pointing out the wonders of the world. You know, the, the neat things that you see and do and take them on fun field trips and those things. Cause that's where they're at in their education. They should not be sitting there having to worry about writing and doing a whole ton of math no, worksheets. You shouldn't be spending three hours a day on, on school at that point. They, they're too young for real school. Play. It should be, it should play be is school at, that, at yeah. that age. Okay, so that's all of our questions for today. That was quite a bit that we went through, so hopefully that helped. And if you have more comments or want clarification, feel free to put anything you'd like into the Facebook group, and we can talk about it further. We can start new threads about some of these topics if you want to have discussions. So hopefully that helped, and we will see you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Come and visit us at layersoflearning.com and on our Facebook group. Make sure to tune in next month for our new podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have Have fun fun learning. learning!